Welcome to the Value Investor TV podcast. This is the podcast that helps you grow your wealth and become financially independent. My name is Becco, and my partner here with me today in this beautiful baby blue sweater. Is this from Canada Goose? It is not. But, uh, <laughs> maybe one day I can afford a Canada maybe, Goose sweater. Maybe, yeah. A knit sweater that costs <laughs> as much as a house payment. <laughs> the reason why I say it's Canada Goose is because we're going to talk about Canada Goose today. So... You guys are in for a treat. Canada Goose is a pretty good company, uh, I thought. I was kind of surprised. Uh, yeah. We'll talk about that. Um, so, like I said, episode, tw- uh, episode 37. Um, again, this is, this is you know, we, we, have g- we have entered into our second phase of our podcast um, history where uh, we now talk about companies instead of talking about the fundamentals of value investing, such as how to... Um, you know, such as how to analyze companies, for example. So this week we chose uh, Canada Goose to analyze. Uh, again, uh, like we said in the previous podcast, we we do want to state a disclaimer here that you know we're not trying to suggest that you should buy or sell depending on our analysis here. What we're trying to do is uh, try to educate you on how to analyze companies, and by going through this ourselves and you listening. You should be able to pick up some some of the cues, uh, some of the some of the know-hows on how to analyze companies, some of the, the tricks, if you will, um, in analyzing companies in value orientation. So, um, that is our disclaimer. And you might be wondering how the how the hell did you pick Skechers and how the hell did you pick Grey uh, not Grey Goose, <laughs> Canada Goose? Uh, Hari, do you want to talk about that before we jump in? Yeah, so I think the there's a couple of things that we want to highlight here is that we are picking companies that are not necessarily um, well-followed, um, that are still very interesting to talk about, because I, I find that generally value investors find uh, stocks that you know few people are talking about, mm-hmm. and so highlighting companies that you probably haven't heard of or you have heard of peripherally are probably better for you as an investor. Then trying to find value in companies that are, <clears throat> you know, like, I mean, let's be honest, Facebook and Apple are literally in the front page of the Wall Street Journal almost every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of coverage. You know, there's not a lot of pricing disparity in those uh, things. But, you know, great businesses can fly under the radar just because of, you know, their their size. So that being said, if you are <clears throat> interested in, a particular company and would like us to talk about it, please send us an uh, an uh, email at info at valueinvestor.org. Uh, we are happy to look. We're not, we are not can't guarantee that we will talk about it because um, I can't speak for Becco, but I'm pretty dumb and I don't necessarily understand every business. So <laughs> if I can't understand the business, it's probably not worth me talking about it. So, um, you know, th- th- so we are going to, when we do pick, it'll be something that we both, you know, typically understand and can be able to speak intelligently for. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why it's important as value investors to have know your own limitations. Yeah. So <clears throat> what we talk about here is companies that we actually can understand. Mm-hmm. And even this one is a little bit of a stretch because we live in Houston, Texas, um, despite the Arctic vortex that uh, has come <laughs> through the Midwest. Uh, I still don't need a Canada Goose uh, <laughs> outdoor jacket. Um, but it, I think it's still important for us to to know our limitations when as value investors. I think that's actually probably the highest um, uh, you know f- factor in when you you know making a decision is that 
people can tell you something is cheap, but if you don't understand why it's cheap, you probably it's still not worth buying it. Yeah. So, that's one of the reasons why uh, in the first que- the first question in the value investor checklist is can you describe the business in two or two or less sentences? So, uh, what's a great segue, Becca? Becca <laughs> to, uh, why don't you tell us about Canada? It Goose is a great segue. Uh, yeah, Canada Goose. Let's jump into this. Um, so, Canada Goose uh, is a manufacturer of a, as a functional premium brand for jackets, parkas, vests, hats, etc., gloves, shells. Now, these are you know these are uh, outer wears. For uh, for winter season, effectively, and their premium brand for for it. So think of um, I think a common comparison would be like North uh, uh, North Face, for example, maybe yeah. a little bit higher than North Face. Yeah, but it, it would be it would be an, on the premium end of things. So when you're talking about a price of these things, uh, you're looking at you know thousand dollars for a jacket, you know thirteen thousand thirteen hundred for a jacket, etc. Right, um, and so. They are a premium brand, and they're headquartered in Canada, Toronto, as the name says, Canada uh, Goose. And uh, they were started in 1957. Surprisingly, they had a long, they have a long history of uh, operating history, which I was surprised by. I guess that's kind of the case with a lot of premium brands. You yeah. know, when you think about premium brands, like for example Louis Vuitton or Prada, etc., you're, you're talking about companies that existed for a long time, and that for a long time they've been able to build that brand recognition for a long time. And Canada Goose is not an exception. They've been around since 1957. <clears throat> yeah, the typical story with those is it's family-owned, and then hmm, yeah. you know they get a CEO who is, uh, you know, been told grow the business, and then they, you know, you see them explode over the next five or ten years, um, as you know Canada Goose has done, um, you know, in 2012 mm-hmm. till now is where you see an explosive amount of growth for them. Right. And if you look, Canada, uh, Canada Goose, um, they IPO'd in 2017, and before that, they were a private company. And we'll talk about this f- further in the management section, but Bain & Company um, you know, came out and basically bought the company in 2013. Uh, so we'll talk about that later. But they IPO'd to the public market in, in 2017. They operate in 12 countries. Um, they have both you know, retail. They, they have, there are two lines of businesses Wholesale. This is very similar to what uh, what we talked about in the last episode with Skechers. Yep. They make they make the different the difference is they make their own stuff. Mm-hmm. About thirty percent of their manufacturing they do it in house with their own manufacturing facilities, and then in terms of distribution and sales, they have wholesale and then direct to consumer. And within direct to consumer, they have their own retail store and e commerce. So you got to think about it in that kind of framework. Well, and and interestingly, that all that manufacturing is done in Canada of that thirty five percent. So, which is you know, is very hard to do in this day and age. You know, uh, most things are manufactured in China, Vietnam, that kind of thing. But since and they seem to take great pride in that, fact, oh, yeah. right? That exactly. they that they make everything in Canada. Yeah, so. I think that's a great segue into the the kind of the comp- the competitive advantage, the mode aspect of this company. Which is, you know, the brand, right? Um, you know, this is not like Sketcher where you are providing good product at a very, very value uh, price range. This is this is a you know, this is a premium brand that has brand recognition all around the world. Um, so I would say brand is the 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 cornerstone of their competitive edge. Um, every other 
aspect of you know competitive advantages, for example, you know low cost providers are not they're certainly not low cost providers. They're certainly not you know they certainly do do not have um, the um, the network effect. Um, what else? You know they certainly don't have. You know, in the in the 10K, they talk about their vertically integrated value chain. They talk about the multi-channel distribution. Talking about wholesale and dis- and direct consumer. I don't think these are you know these are not unique to Grey Goose or not Grey Goose Canada Goose. Yeah, I think there's a couple things that I found very interesting. You know, so their technology around keeping you warm. Um, they made a point of uh, you know that it was developed when the the first Canadian mountain climber went to made it to Everest, you know, uh, mounted Everest in 1981 or something. So he was wearing Canada goose stuff. So there's a, like a huge, you know, point of pride mm-hmm. in the Canadian, uh, you know, in Canada, um, around, you know, the fact yeah. that this is a Canadian brand. I mean, they even name it Can- Canada goose. Yep. Um, and <clears throat> I think the other thing that I found interesting was, you know, their, their whole ethos seems to be, um, you know, in their stores, you know, they really talk about this fact that people will say, I, you know, I, I'm an outdoor person. I go out all the time and I'm always, I never feel warm in, uh, until I wore a Canada goose, you know, jacket. And so there, there's, you know, I'm not an outdoors type of person, but there's a sense of loyalty. I think to these guys make a product that actually functions when I'm like in sub-zero temperatures Mm. that I actually feel comfortable in as opposed to I go, you know, you know, I buy the cheaper brand, the off brand. It doesn't have the same technology that, you know, keeps me warm. So I think there's a big, you know, if, if you're very into the outdoors kind of stuff. And I, I think if you look at like the, the winter Olympics, you know, more than half of the people there were wearing Canada goose stuff, Mm. which is a huge, I mean, not, Overtly, they weren't advertising it, but it was. Yeah, that was something that was really right. uh, helping them. Yeah, it speaks. It speaks to not only the premium aspect of it; it speaks to the functionality aspect of this, of this company. Yeah. So the brand and the technology itself um, is, you know, we would we would probably say that those those two things are their competitive advantage. Yeah. Um. Okay. Um. One of the things that um, that was interesting when I was reading through this was that they have, um, you know, brand ambassadors to kind of promote this brand aspect of their competitive advantage. And and, and the way they did that was through this, this, uh, this program called goose people. So Mm -hmm. like Harry talked about, you know, they would select a few people who would wear Canada goose and they would, um, they would do like a short film or short story around this person. How, how did, how how does Canada Canada Goose help them with what they do, and trying to shine light on it, exactly how Canada Goose is helping their li- their life, you know, framing that in a story uh, allows them to highlight their competitive edge, which is brand, which I think is I think they're they're a great job at at that. Yeah, and I think their marketing is a lot of a lot more word of mouth type, l- largely because of you know it, uh, uh, pricing. I mean, the cost was too expensive. Mm-hmm. Now they mo- they have more money to do the advertising, but, you know, they were talking about it on this last conference call about, you know, people were coming into, you know, from various, you know, East Asian countries to flying to Canada to, to buy a Canada goose mm-hmm. thing, you know, on, you know, they, as part of their travel right. to, uh, 
to the Northeast in the U.S. or Canada was to buy a Canada Goose outfit. So, you know, jacket or, or what have you. So I think it's a big thing about their, their brand. And I, I would also say, you know, if you're out skiing, you know, the one time I have been skiing, you know, you see what other people are wearing. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, so it's a very concentrated type of marketing, right? You have the ability at, in that area. Where are you going to wear these kind of, you know, jackets and hats and stuff is when, and, you know, when you're skiing and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. A lot of people are doing that. So you can easily see what other people are wearing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you ask them and, you know, at, you know, when you're making small talk with people, that's a huge tremendous you mm-hmm. know selling point for for them that yeah. brand ambassador and being very uh word of mouth type sales because mm-hmm. this is a premium product you're not going to buy this three times a year you may buy one every five years but you have the ability to you know when you're out there skiing you know and then the rest of the year you're not wearing it so yeah. you go and talk to these folks and you get a good um you know, word of mouth translates very yeah. well here. Yeah, it's interesting. It, it kind of reminds <laughs> me of what happened in Korea when it comes to like North Face, for example. When North Face became a huge, huge deal, you know, when I was growing up over there, um, you know, people would be, ah, oh, yeah, that looks really good. I want to go, I want to go buy North Face. So when people travel to outside of the country, for example, to U.S. or to Canada or Australia, they go to the North Face store and buy one, and come back and bring it home and wear it so proudly yeah you know and i think this is kind of following the same trail here so if you wear if you wear a canada goose and you have made in canada and all that if you walk around with that and on the streets of seoul or tokyo or wherever people recognize oh yeah right he knows how to dress yeah exactly (laughs) yeah it's interesting he has a lot of disposable income yeah a lot of disposable income tells you yeah so i think so th- I think those are kind of the competitive advantage of the company. Yeah. Yeah. They are, um, you know, in terms of durability, I think that's the second, the next question that comes in the value investor checklist here. Right. What do you think about that, Harry? So it's an, it's an interesting thing. I, you know, I am not, I, I found it very interesting that they were very concerned about their own, brand being diluted by mm. selling too much yeah. of it right and i think the you know that that to me is um you know with luxury items like this one of the concerns is that if if it's too prevalent then it loses some of the luster of mm. being premium Scar- right? scarce yeah. yeah so there's a scarcity that's in, associated with that right whereas other less luxurious items can can be more prevalent right so um you know, the, you know the ways that they can co- kind of combat this are they have like certain you know types of the the jackets or are even more premium than the regular. Like they have a a higher end high line, which is you know one way to to kind of differentiate mm. even within their own brand. Like a step up from yeah. There's a step up in inside the own well, yeah. you know which I haven't seen them do yet. I, I think they're still trying to just there's an enormous demand for their stuff right now still mm. so. They're just trying to meet all the demand, right. you know, and in, in the various areas that, you know, there's demand for it. But I, I don't know that there's necessarily like a, a super strong moat here. Mm. I mean, I, I think there is a moat. Um, I think the brand has to be carefully managed mm. in order to not completely sink it. Mm. Um, but I think the next, you know, three to five years, they're probably not going to, you know, breach that moat. Yeah. I also don't know that there's going to be 
a ton of competition for this, you know, this kind of thing. I think because they have 50 plus 60 years of know-how and how they're making their jackets, there's a lot to be said for that. Yeah. Um, everything I've read about their, their jackets, because I've never actually touched one or felt one, is the construction, the premium feel, all of that has, you know, a very, like, um, you know, when you're paying for it, you don't feel like... I'm I'm getting gypped, you right. know, kind of thing, right? Yeah. So people don't have that, and and I don't see them, you know, trying to cut costs by making it cheaper in Vietnam yeah. or something like that. So I think they're going to retain the premium aspect of it, and mm. and when we talk about the margins, you'll see how ridiculous the margins oh, are yeah. for how much they make. But yeah, so to answer your question, I'm not I'm you know this is not a rock solid moat. You know they're in a luxury item, mm. you know, premium business. Uh, imagine if in a world where, you know, global warming is, you know, taking over, does that really affect them? Mm. Uh, you know, I don't, I wouldn't put too much thought in, into that one, but I would be worried about more, um, you know, what happens if they do sell too much of this, right? And then now you have a, you know, the, the premium aspect, can the, can this thing survive just purely based on the technology inside it, right? Which is keeping you warm and stuff like that. And that's, that's where I'm. I'm not sure about. Yeah, so. it's interesting. It's definitely, definitely interesting. <clears throat> so, Reflect, what, yeah. What are you? What are your thoughts there? I think reflecting back on what I said earlier about North Face. You know, North Face is when I was growing up, it was like this huge premium brand that only you know people that knew how to dress or you know obviously had right. m- money would wear. But now it's kind of all over the place. So, you know. As with anything, as with anything in fashion, it comes and goes, right? Yeah. And so it might be this Canada Goose fever that's been hitting the world as they ramp up their sales, as they ramp up their marketing. Right. But once that fever kind of dies down, I, I don't know. You know, it, it is, a, is a big question, question mark at yeah. the end of that. And I think that's also kind of why a lot of these luxury brands stayed, you know, family companies stayed kind of small and they weren't selling tons and tons of these, um, you know, these things everywhere. Now, I, I, you know, I, I, if their claim is true that, you know, this is the only jacket that you'll wear where you actually truly feel warm, then, you know, I think there is something to be said for that, right? That they're, you know, you can survive on that technology. Yeah. So the question is, is somebody else going to think of a way? I mean, when you're selling a, a jacket at a 75% margin, <clears throat> you know, there's, there are people, entrepreneurs, who are willing to yeah. to, to attack your moat, yeah. right, and try and sell it for a sixty percent margin. Mm-hmm. So, so right now I don't see that, mm-hmm. right. But it doesn't mean that in the next three to five years somebody doesn't start seeing that these guys are everywhere and try and you know try and take take that moat from yeah. them. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think um, in order to com- compete in this market, I think in a luxurious premium brand market um another premium brand that is kind of tangential to what they do might come in and introduce a product line here you know for example i don't know um you know for example like nike might i don't know i'm just thinking out line but or north face or north face you know line tries to do a premium you know line that's slightly different in their yeah more premium than they already you know do yeah i mean i i think there's lots of places to attack them that's not necessarily just their jackets i mean they release this knitwear mm-hmm. i mean these sweaters are like six hundred dollars yeah, you know that's so, crazy so and they crazy look crazy. really nice and they're they're very looks like they're very comfortable mm-hmm. and things like that but 
<clears throat> you know, I, I think there's there's potential there for people to, to kind of knock in, into some of those areas. Yeah, for sure. So I think that's actually a great segue into the next part of the value investor checklist, which is the long-term prospects. And, you know, you mentioned knitwear. One of the things that they are doing, and I think they're executing it quite well, is the is the is the product line that is outside of their bread and butter. You know, like you mentioned, the knitwear, um, you, you, know, you can imagine their sales spike up in the wintertime. And then in the fall or spring, it kind of tapers down. It's like a yeah. you know, huge spike seasonal. and then it kind of yeah. tapers down. So what they're trying to do is trying to attack those tangential markets in the spring and in the fall. Yeah. And the way they're doing that is by introducing stuff like, you know, j- uh, sweater or vest. Right. Um, and you can see the the last quarter that uh, was just announced um, in September last year, 2018, you know, you can see a huge spike in their off-season uh, revenue. So mm-hmm. it's it's they're executing it quite well. Uh, the long-term prospect of this is, um, you know, they're trying to expand their revenue streams into multiple seasons, not just dependent on one one season, one winter season. Yeah, and I think it's also interesting that because now they have their own retail stores, you know, you don't. It's not like they just close the store in summertime, right? So they ha- they want to sell stuff, and in certain parts of the world, you know, northern Europe. Uh, northern parts of Canada, it's still cold in the summer, right? You're still going to need quote unquote spring wear, quote unquote, you know, so, you know, these vests, these knit uh, sweaters, things like that. So they can sell those year round, mm, yeah. but n- not necessarily the parka year round. Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of long, long, long-term aspect, I think that's a, that's a kind of an open market that haven't tapped into. So it'll yeah. be interesting to monitor that. Another uh, long-term uh, growth prospect is the global growth. Um, right. You know, we talk about uh, you know, North, uh, not, not North Face, uh, Canada Goose being in, uh, in in Japan and Korea and, and China and also in Northern Europe, like you talked about. They're you know, they're expanding their business, not just in Canada, but in U.S., but also rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you look at a 2018 number, for example, um, comparing 2016, 2017, and 2018 number, we're talking about a top line here. Canada, just Canada business, grew at compounded annual growth rate of 55% from 2016 to 2018. United States grew at 33%, and the rest of the world grew at 39%. So they talk about this uh, extensively in the in the annual report. They say Canada is definitely one of the most mature markets. Well, it is the mature market that we, that we, that we are in. But that we are willing to tackle... United States very aggressively, and we're we are ready to tackle uh, the markets rest of the world. Yeah. Uh, so Pacific Northwest is where they're aiming to tackle next in Can- in the U- United States. You know they have presence in in the Northeast, but they don't really have much presence in Pacific Northwest, uh, which is another big market for them. I think also like you know Colorado or, or you know that part of the world or that yeah. part of the country could be could be very lucrative for them as well. Yeah, I mean, I think even inside the Northeast, they haven't fully, like, I think they opened a location in New Jersey and, New York. you know, and so they're, they've had in the big places and then now they're filtering it down a little more to the smaller areas. But still, you know, I, I think there's tons of room mm-hmm. for them because they're relatively small and 
you know, terms of size mm-hmm. uh, relative to what they, they have. So, I mean, the best kind of growth, um, the most reliable type of growth is the is population growth as mm-hmm. somebody, you know. So if you're, when what I mean by that is if your company hasn't entered in a market, a new market is always, you know, the best type of growth because you've established everything in your, you know, your home market, you know how it works. Um, and if some, and if you can see that people are flying in from other places just to buy your stuff, then there's probably a very good chance that it'll be popular in wherever they, wherever you go. So, but I, I think one thing that's interesting is that, you know, like Canada, is cold. It's north of, <laughs> north of the U.S. Very white, yeah. So you, the U.S. is probably not going to be, you know, long term is not going to be a, a giant driver of sales. And I think also in Canada, there's going to be an enormous amount of brand loyalty to, like, they probably buy very little North Face, right? I mean, they're still buying BlackBerry, right, in Canada. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's that's kind of the, the mentality I think you have to think about, too, is that mm-hmm. Canada's growth is probably also there's a there's a hometown kind of favorite. Yeah, here. for sure. So, you know, when we look at the rest of the world, how do they maintain that brand? Mm-hmm. Right. I think there's certainly, you know, being the only person in Korea with a Canada goose jacket is one thing. Right. That's that's a status symbol. But then when they have a store in in Korea. <clears throat> with their price, you know, mm. you know, is is it going to maintain itself after yeah. you, know, you do that? That's yeah. interesting. Yeah, kind of speaking back to what you talked about in terms of scarcity aspect of it. You yeah, know, it's interesting um, how the premium brand and the psychology of consumer consumers and kind of are there. You know how they are in play here. Yeah, but in terms of long term prospects, uh, we, like we talked about, I think there's tremendous room for growth. Uh, yeah, you, you know, within the U.S. and outside the country, Japan, Japan. Uh, Korea and China, especially in China, you know, this is something that they are hammering on, as with any retailers, I think. Right. You know, Skechers is one of them. (laughs) China, they look at China as this new growth, you know, giant growth engine. We'll see how they execute, right? Yeah. Everyone talks about China being the next growth engine, but in terms of execution actually penetrating the market, that's another question. Right. Right. What, well, what they're doing, they can't do. So I can, we can tell you what they are doing now to get ready to attack the Chinese market. Is you know they have selected a president, um, Scott Cameron is his name, to lead the Chinese effort. You know they have some presence. <clears throat> excuse me, they have some small wholesale presence uh, for a number of years, but um, they're going to open up uh, Hong Kong and Beijing uh, new stores. I'm not sure if they're open already, but they're. Bound to be open in fiscal year 2019. They are selling uh, through T-Mall, <coughs> yeah, that's uh, which is uh, which is Alibaba's yeah um, uh, store. So yeah, so th- in terms of online presence, uh, you know they're partnering up partnering up with Alibaba's T-Mall uh, starting in 2019, transitioning to online Chinese distribution to Alibaba's T-Mall platform in in fall of 2019. So that would be a great, you know, that's a great win for them. Yeah, to be on uh, <coughs> to be on their largest e-commerce platform right it's a big 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 win so again kind of going back to the question of global growth and going back to the question of long-term prospect you know i think they have tremendous room to grow and there i think they're poised well to capture that (coughs) growth yep okay and then the third point that i wanted to mention under the bracket of long-term prospects is their um the channel mix which i think is very interesting yeah 
this is kind of going back to what we talked about with Skechers. I mean, number doesn't lie, right? Gross margin is definitely higher mm-hmm. in direct-to-consumer channel. So what they're doing is they're shifting their focus from wholesale to more direct-to-consumer channel, for example, through e-commerce or their own stores. Yeah, and I, I found it interesting, too, when they talked about their own stores, they have this thing called a cold room inside the store, which I, I don't know how cold it actually is, <laughs> but you wear the jacket inside the cold room, and then you can wear your own jacket and, and go in there and see how much warmer are you with their <laughs> yeah. Canada Goose jacket. And yeah. I'm like, that's pretty smart. Like yeah. When you think about it, if that's their real selling point, yeah. right, which is you can feel warm even when it's cold outside, mm-hmm. um, you know, people are going to pay up for that, right? I, I think, you know, we've all been there where we're we're under prepared for some you know winter event and you're miserably cold and this place is uh you know they've figured out how to solve that yeah so you know i i think that helps drive their business too is that you know when you're a wholesaler you know selling through a wholesale channel you don't have the ability to control the messaging as well yeah exactly um you can do it to some extent but you don't you know you can't require the wholesale or the retailer that you're selling to to have a cold room or to have a you know, th- thing like this. And, you know, the the retailer may be pushing a different product, you know, for a different reason. So, right. you know, for various reasons. So I think this is a, is a very interesting that, you know, and this was coincidence. We didn't pick this because of the, the fact that they they both have, you know, following the stream strategy. Yeah. Right? But yeah. Uh, that Skechers and these guys are following it. But, I mean, I think it's really interesting that, you know, they're, they're targeting this. Yeah, it's very interesting. If you look at the let's let, let me let me read you some of the hard hard numbers here. Uh, and so, if you compare 2017 number to 2018 number, wholesale in terms of constant, you know, in terms of um, constant currency uh, perspective, from 2017 20 to 2018, the top line we're talking about revenue here. If you break it down between, if you break it down into wholesale and and direct consumer. Wholesale grew at 17.5%. Remember that number. But in terms of direct-to-consumer, it grew at 123%. So you can see that they are really trying to push into the direct-to-consumer market. And the reason is, like we talked about earlier, is the is the gross profit. So looking at gross profit number, in 2018, the gross profit for, for her wholesale was... You know, forty-seven percent, which is not bad, right? Forty-seven yeah. percent is definitely not bad, but when we look at direct consumer gross margin, seventy-four point four percent in twenty eighteen, and in twenty seventeen that was twenty-five percent, twenty-five point five percent. But it's incredible the difference between wholesale and direct consumer. Yeah, they're definitely trying to push their their sales through um, that channel because I think you can obviously they're get they're making more money, yeah. you know, through that. Um, and it, you, we're seeing that on the operating margin side. The operating margins have improved significantly yeah. uh, since they started doing the, their own, you know, stores. Yeah, so. absolutely. It translates directly to the operating margin um, from here. Um, yeah. So the next question in the, you know, in the value investor list checklist is: Does this company need a lot of reinvestment to grow? What do you think about that question? So, you know, for for those of you who are trying to understand why we ask this question every time, right, what you're trying to find is a business that has, you know, doesn't have to put a lot of money back in to continue their growth. Um, the, 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 like, classic example is like a C's candy where, 
they were able to grow, you know, over a long period of time, even though they just maintain one manufacturing facility. Mm. Um, and so when you look at a retailer like this, you know, are they able to their grow their sales, you know, with, um, you know, without, um, without this? And the, the answer is no. I mean, they are building new, uh, 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 manufacturing uh, facilities all over Canada. They are having to uh, spend money to open up stores. Yeah. Um, so, so I mean, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I yeah. mean, it's just this is a home run kind of thing if you can get a business that is inherently, and, you know, software is a good example of that, where it, you don't have to spend more money to make more money kind of thing. Yeah. You can grow your business very elegantly without having to put in, you know, more effort. So. Yeah. And these guys haven't been able to, you know, haven't, you know, if they stayed as a wholesaler, they may have had more leverage in that aspect. Now, where what's interesting about this is they're opening up the stores. The stores are doing, you know, are able to do much more business than the wholesaler are. So I think it, it is actually a net benefit that they're spending to make this. Exactly. Um, but it's it's going to require a lot of yeah. capital expenditure yeah. over the next few years. Yeah. And we saw this with, uh, you know, they bought a shoe company recently to try and help grow um, a premium shoe brand. Um, and they have also, uh, you know, they, they had a cash offering of, you know, where they sold 10 million shares on the market, uh, which is actually, I mean, if, if, you know, as we, when we talk about valuation, you know, selling shares when the shares are undervalued is a bad idea, but selling them when they're overvalued is not necessarily a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're trying to feel growth. So, yeah. Uh, exactly. Yeah. They, if you look back, you know, starting from like 2015, for example, they've been really, you know, plunging money into their um, their investment thesis, which is, you know, investment thesis, which is build and as, as many, try to shift the channel mix to a direct consumer as much as possible. So that's that's building out the actual retail store, Canada Goose retail store, but also expanding their e-commerce platform. Right. So for every country they enter, they have, you know, uniquely designed a uh, website for their own, for their for that specific country. Yeah. So that's a capital investment question. Next question is a relationship uh, question. Um you got the consumer. Do they have a good relationship? Consumer, supplier, employees, uh, etc. So I think there's, you know, uh, for customer side mm-hmm. is the only one I'll answer, and then I'll okay. let you go on those. I mean, obviously, with the brand ambassadors and the, I mean, if people are, if word of mouth is their highest form of advertising, is that is is obviously the cheapest. Mm-hmm. I don't see any problems with the customers here. You mm-hmm. know, I think it's fantastic for them to, yeah. uh, you know, the, what their relationships are. So, yeah. um, but I do think it's interesting, you know, I'll, I'd like to hear your take on suppliers and distributors. Cause you know, it, it's more, a little more, uh, nuanced here, I think. Right. Yeah. When it comes to suppliers, um, and distributors, and I think also manufa- manufacturers as well, cause you know, they, they only do 30, about 30% of their manufacturing in house. Yeah. They have, they outsource the rest 70% to other Chinese or not Chinese Canadian manufacturing facilities. Um, in terms of suppliers, you know, they're really picky about who they pick yeah. in terms of suppliers. And, you know, this was also the case with Skechers as I was reading through this. Um, you know, they don't really have a contractual obligation to buy or sell from 
these um, these suppliers. But I think they have a good long term relationships with these uh, suppliers to supply you know really good down the feathers that you need to uh, to make these things. Yep. Um, in terms of distribution, which is interesting because they still have a pretty sizable. Um, you know, wholesale operation all across the globe in 38 countries. And so, you know, partnering up with really top of the, you know, top shelf uh, distributor is very important for them because they want to make sure that their product is displayed in the right way in the wholesale. For example, if you walk into Nordstrom in Korea, for example, I don't know if they have Nordstrom in Korea, but for example, you want to make sure that Canada Goose is... Di- is displayed in the right way that they that the way that you want to. Right. You don't want them to abuse your brand by you know pushing them, pushing it in the corner for or something like that. So, uh, so that that relationship is very important. So far, judging by the growth rate, I think they're doing a good job at maintaining that. Yeah, I I don't think it's you know the the thing that I was concerned about when I read it, and I'm not that concerned about it would be. You know, these suppliers that they have kind of handshake relationships in yeah. some ways. Yeah. You know, if there's a problem with any one of them, you know, I think one of their suppliers supplies about 20% of their goods, right? And if there is a shortage or if that company decides, you know, you know, ha- yeah. runs into financial trouble, what, what happens? How does that affect their business? Yeah. And so this is not something I would be like, oh, no, you, you know, this is a hard write-off, right? Every company has some little holes here and there yep. but it, i i found it interesting because there there there's a potential there that you know they they run into a problem with with one of their suppliers yeah so. yeah and uh moving on to the next bullet point um inter- within the relationship bracket you know employees which i thought was interesting you know, because we're dealing with you know manufacturing in canada we have to deal with our law and their minimum wage went up in, 20, yeah. in 2019 which is going to impact uh, the bottom line. Um, so that'll be interesting to to see moving forward. Yeah. Because much of the manufacturing is done in Ontario. And uh, that's going to, you know, obviously they they fall into this jurisdiction. Yeah. And I, I think more so than even the costs there, if the regulatory environment is too mm. restrictive. Yeah. You know, part of the reason that you costs are cheaper in China is that China doesn't care about human beings, right? And so they they are willing to make them work harder than is, you know, what is deemed acceptable in the US. Yeah. So you know, and and Vietnam even more so now than China. So that's part of the reason that because they have a freer regulatory structure, mm-hmm. they're cheaper. So the only thing I would be wary of in this is that what happens if Canada has a problem with, mm. like they they slowly creep up on the regulation mm. side of the house, that it, it causes a problem. Again, I don't think it's happening. I mean, these guys are selling a jacket for a thousand dollars, and it costs them two hundred and fifty bucks to make. Right, that's the gross margin there. So an extra few bucks on the labor side is probably not going to materially impact them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, and this only applies to premium goods. You can't do this in a, you know, lower end stuff exactly. where you're trying to wake, make it open volume is not, you know, yeah, you can't, you can't sell that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and manufacture it here. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So that's a, that's the part one of uh, Canada goose. Um, this was episode 37. Um, we talked about, we talked about a lot here. We talked yeah. about the competitive advantage all the way through their their growth aspect of it, 
their relationship with customers and suppliers, capital investment. So this kind of wraps up our first portion of Canada Goose. We'll talk about uh, the financial health management and ultimately the valuation um, on the next episode. Yeah, so stay, stay tuned to find out if they're cheap. Stay tuned. Okay, I'll see you guys on the next episode. Thank you, guys. Thanks.